10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3. Good luck, studio. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to introduce to you Paul Chandler, the shy Yeti. <laughs> He's not that shy. All I wanted was a pie, and then I hatched out of an egg. Okay, bring the mic over. He's ready to record. It's the quiet ones you've got to watch, you know. Is it metaphorical? Is it is it deep? Is it deep? <laughs> Boy, who's that all that shy is right. Why me, Governor? It's the Shy Life Podcast. Hello, campers. How are you? Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the Shy Life Podcast with me, Paul the Shy Yeti. How are you doing? Ah, I'm all right. Um, I've got I've got a special guest. He's been on the show before, but only on Chatterbox episodes. And and um, uh, well, you'll you'll recognise him. It's Warren. Hi. How are you doing? Hi, everyone. Hello. How are you? How are you doing? Well, Warren from the Sausage Podcast. No, it's not called the Sausage. What is your podcast called? <laughs> it's a raspberry mivy and a footlong dog. It's about yes. film. Because that's what you do when you go to the auditorium, isn't it? And not the um, the foyer. You buy a yeah. raspberry mivy and a footlong dog. I used to as a child. Yes. Nothing yeah. like a satisfying foot-long dog. Yes, I don't think anyone ever took me to the cinema, so I never got oh. um, yes, yeah. Maybe sometimes, but um, but anyway, we're going to talk about uh, we're going to be talking about films today. But first, we need to run the theme music, so uh, let's run that theme. Darling, it's the Shy Life Podcast. You won't find a cast of characters like this everywhere. Hello, Paul. Don't want Paul now. I don't know. I'll go anywhere for a potato. Delicious. This particular episode of The Shy Life is, is a little more abstract than usual. Go Shy Yeti. Oh, my, I hope you haven't found out my secret. I think he has. If you thought that was back, listen to this. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. It's the game. It's the Shy Life Podcast. So we do recycle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm strangely drawn to yet younger John's angles as well. <laughs> but has the shy like podcast slowed down? I don't think so. It's all gooey and greasy. Yum, 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 yum. <laughs> and we're back. So yes, um, it's good to have you here, Warren. Um, Thank you. It's great to be here. It's great to be here. I, I'm rather nervous because uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I've got a lot to live up to. Well, you've um, you, you've you've coped with the chatterbox episodes, and they're some of the most sort of wild, everyone talking at the same time type episodes. So you get to be centre stage for this one. And, uh, <laughs> I don't and, know. And I'm a bit worried about that. The chatterbox <laughs> ones, I could hide behind um, Andrew and Lisa when we were doing those. That was yeah. that was good. But yeah, I, I quite enjoyed the chatterbox, and it's great. It, it, it's great to speak to um, people all over the world when you're doing chatterbox, isn't it? Yeah, it's difficult to sort of work out how many people you should evolve before it gets too many. I think four or five is is about the maximum, really. But uh, um, but yeah, because otherwise it's it, it's uh, 
Uh, well, they're all quite respectful and take our t- take our own turns and stuff. So I, I, um, I have had podcasts where pe- people are all talking at once and, and no one's going to get kind of going, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. So you do, you do have to kind of, yeah, let everyone have their turns. The BBC have a programme for that. It's called Question Time, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yes, I think that's... <laughs> yeah, they've, they, they, need, they need me to direct it a bit. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's have some semblance of normality there, please. And in fact, Yeti Uncle John could... Um, I reckon could run question time. That'd be good. Yeah, yeah. or um, I think um, you, you may get you may get to have a, a word with Yeti Uncle John. Yeah, I'm looking forward but, to a word with Yeti Uncle John. Yeah, but I think um, um, so. Yeah, we're going to talk about films this time, mm. but we're, we're going to talk about like horror mainly. Um, you're going to talk about one of your favourite areas of horror which is also one of my favourite areas and I'm going to tell you a bit about some of the Italian horror that I've kind of discovered in the last few years I mean, I've discovered it but I've, I've become familiar more familiar with it but, um, but yeah you, you, you were going to we were going to have a little chat about Amicus weren't, weren't oh we? yes the, the one that lives in the shadow of Hammer Films really is Amicus isn't it I mean they're mm. best known for those portmanteau films you know where you get yeah. four or five little stories in, in one film and I, I, yes. I love them because they're so much fun and if you don't like the one that you're watching at the moment you wait ten minutes and another one comes it's like waiting in a bus station isn't it and another <laughs> one comes along yeah I mean I like them so much that years ago uh, Nick and I did a film which was sort of four stories um and although we kind of recorded them separately i, I when the original idea was to do them as a portmanteau film and and we did do a, an, an edit where it was with the link with, with we did linking scenes and everything um but uh it, it sort of escaped a little bit its concept because some of the stories were a bit longer than others and um and, and yeah it, it became the, the some of the some of the some of the films became films in themselves almost so but yeah that was definitely the original inspiration so i've always liked the amicus portmanteau films yeah amicus was always cheaper than hammer as well wasn't it um they they um I, I looked into it when I did one of my, my one of my first one of my first articles really for um, when I was doing my podcast, and I, I expected um, two great movie moguls to be living in this great office block at, uh, <laughs> in the studios, and I found out that um, they're actually in a shed at Shepperton. <laughs> it literally was a shed because it was founded by like. Two American producers, wasn't it? Milton Spotsky and Max Rosenberg. Oh, yeah. Matt J. Rosenberg never came over to this country. He, he was the money man. He was, all, he was going around um, shaking the hat in the, in the yeah. States trying to get uh, backing for money. And they worked very much like Hammer did. They used to go around and they used to produce the, the poster first and said, this is the film we're going to make next. Look at the poster. Doesn't it look fantastic? And they go, yes, it does, when they haven't even written a word for the script. And that, that, was, um, that was Milton's job. He was the writer. He used to sort of beg, borrow, and steal from other people's books and throw these things together. Literally, throw them together. And yeah, it, I like the fact that they that, that their brass nerve of going, "This is a film we're going to make," when they haven't even put anything on paper yet. Because they they were also responsible for the two sixties Doctor Who films, weren't they? Yeah. Um, also with Peter Cushing. Um, yeah, they, um, they they had to change the name of the company because uh, under the hailing of AARRU Films, because 
if they put it under the name of Amicus, people are going to think, oh, this isn't going to be right. A kids' film made for horror by a horror company. And so I thought, mm. I'll we'll soften it a bit. And so they, they threw in a few words, a few letters, and made a title for their production company. And, yeah, they, they managed to get Peter Cushing. They were trying to get Christopher Lee to be in one of them as well. Mm. Uh, they were looking at Christopher Lee uh, playing the part of Wyler, which in, mm. initially went to... Um, the gentleman who played Professor Quatermass in Quatermass and the Pit the Hammer version, whose name, as usual... Andrew Keir. Andrew Keir, the great Andrew Keir. Now, how can I forget that? Maybe, as he would say. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, the, the, it, yeah. It's kind of weird because you might think that, oh, well, you've got Hammer, you've got Amicus, but, and, and they'd have kind of... The, the actors wouldn't, you know, cross over, but they, they did, and Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing were in plenty of Amicus films. Um, yeah, they they, they they really stamped their mark, haven't they, Chris Lee and Peter Cushing, as, as horror leads. And I think... Mm. I, I, I don't know about you. I think Peter Cushing could make anything look legitimate. And he yes. could be spouting the most ridiculous uh, words from the script, but you could buy into that. Uh, I, I, I never used to sort of buy into the... Christopher Lee, because Christopher Lee was a small... His performance was very small and contained, and he was always mm. playing the same sort of grim character, wasn't he? And he never seemed to have a sense of humour, and he always seemed to be very dry and very tall. But then again, you look at something like... Um, where he plays Frankenstein's monster, doesn't he, in the Hammer film, and it's all done with the eyes... That, that taking yeah. off of the bandages at the beginning and the eyes looking darting around, looking around. But everything, the pain, um, the anguish, the the joy even, all comes through from that acting from the eyes. So I think he's quite electrifying with his, 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 his eyes, actually, more than anything. But Peter mm. Cushing was always more fun, I thought, than Christopher Lee, because Peter Cushing could really firmly do tongue-in-cheek very well. Yeah. I was just thinking, you know, going back to the the, the funny thing that because uh, when they did the portmanteau films, they also did other horror films. So mainly they did horror, but but the first two films that Amicus made were <laughs> like musical comedies. It's Trad Dad. It's Trad Dad. Yeah, do you know that's Milton Sabotsky's <laughs> best film? He, he loves that film. Absolutely adores it. <laughs> and just for fun, um, made in sixty three. Yeah. So they made in sixty two and sixty three, and both of them feature Fluff Freeman the DJ, playing himself. Yeah. But, yeah, they, they are very musical numbers. And that was the thing at the time. Um, we think we don't really have musical numbers these days, do we? But if you think about you had uh, coming up in the 60s, you had Summer Holiday, you had the Elvis films. Mm. So they sort of mm. jumped on that bandwagon. What's the best way to get in cash? Uh, what's going to draw people to the to the cinema and bringing the money to pay for the next film let's get some pop stars because they're cheap let's face it they're cheap and mm. they will want an up and coming pop stars and they will want that sort of big screen presence and to to appeal to a new audience and i i think it's a, a really great way of doing it but um yeah then they descended into absolute terror didn't they <laughs> <laughs> well literally dr terror's house of horrors oh. is the first horror one they did and the first portmanteau one they did. did you like that one i like that one that one's um 
That's really on good. The train, they're on the on the train in that one. On the train, yeah, and they're all in that carriage. Um, I like I like the makeup Peter Cushing's wearing there. It actually looks as though he could have grown that straggly beard, and it, yeah. it suited him so well. That's got Adam Freeman in as well. Hasn't it, it has, oh. yeah. It's got Roy Castle in as well, hasn't it? Yeah. Roy yeah. Castle always said he started his film career by doing two types of films: science fiction and horror. And this is his this is his first film. Although he did appear very briefly in a Second World War film, I think it might have been Dunkirk. Where I know. Um, uh, Bernard Cribbins first appeared on Dunkirk and had about two lines and he was a worker on one of the boats but I think um, yeah I, I, his first blinking you miss it thing but well, yeah this is his first real explosive well, he screen. did this in the Daleks film sort of back to back because it's the same same year it's that way round, isn't it Roy Castle's in the first one and Bernard Cribbins in the that's right, yeah, Bernard Cribbins yeah. is in the um, 66 uh, version. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. yeah, Doctor and the Daleks comes out in 1965. Yeah. In fact, it's the film after Doctor House of Horrors, mm, so literally he would have... They shuffled him off. Yeah, they would have probably <laughs> done been back-to-back, to be fair, back, because yeah. um, they were both made in 65, and knowing how tight Milton Sabotsky was, <laughs> he probably would have wheeled him off at the end of that film when he totally was exhausted. Said, "Right, away you go. There's Peter Cushing. He's exhausted as well. Make a film. Oh, by the way, it's got these pepper pots from Doctor Who on it. <laughs> Doctor Who. Because um, yeah, there's also Donald Sutherland. Um, yeah, in, in, in that one, and Kenny Lynch. <laughs> that's in the Kenny film. Lynch. Yes, <laughs> that's a. Um, the one that they're in, their main story, is sort of a voodoo one. That's the voodoo ones. Music. That's quite that's quite creepy, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Um, um, what did you think? To because you've um, Jeremy Kemp pops up in one as well, doesn't he? Because um, that's the Killer Vine one. That's the one with Fluff yeah. Freeman, isn't it? The Killer Vine. Yeah. I mean, even Bernard Lee turns up in that. Um, but that that almost could be a film on its own, couldn't it? That is begging to be a film on its own. It reminds me a bit of the because uh, everyone goes on about the uh, the the man the man of Surrey Green in the Avengers. But, um, <laughs> yes. um, this must have been about actually ooh, I, I, almost the same. Year, uh, what are we looking at? Sixty five. I think Maneater may have just pipped it. Mm. It's but, the same sort of but time. It's along mm. and then again you you can time put put it a bit forward and then you've got things like uh, Doctor Who and. Uh, seeds of seeds of death, seeds of doom. Mm. Seeds of um, doom. Sorry, doom. seeds of doom. How dare I get that wrong? <laughs> seeds of doom with the crinoid. Yeah. Or, um, um, man-eating plants. Man-eating plants. Little shop of horrors. Mm-hmm. There's a man-eating plant for you. Yeah, that's kind of early sixties, isn't it? Well, early-ish or early to mid sixties. There's but, um, there's a lot of eco stuff here about the world going. Nah, I've had enough of these humans. I'm going to eat them. <laughs> yeah. um, and then you've got what about a, a disembodied hand and one about a vampire and it's Donald Sutherland is in the vampire yeah that's 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 quite weird because his wife is, is a vampire isn't she and he kills her with a stake and his psychologist says yes yes I uh, I believe you're a vampire but the twist is so is his psychologist as well and his psychologist is played by very famous actor who uh, founded, who assisted to found the uh, Royal Shakespeare Company. Mm. 
and he was in Doctor Who as well. And it's Ma- gone. And I mentioned his name Ma- actually. Max- yes, Max Adrian. Max Adrian. Yes. I know that because I'm looking at Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm reaching into my dusty head. And there's a lot of dust in there. But the, the, the problem with portmanteaus is they can blend in together. The later ones, like Vault of Horror and From Beyond the Grave, can real and Tales from the Crypt, they're sort of the same-ish theme, aren't they, of people trapped and having trapped in a room and uh, discussing the the, the um, nightmares they've been having yeah I'll, 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 I'll one of my favourites well that's, those later ones are my are some of my favourites but um, sometimes they and I think they probably often do it in in all of them that they have one that's a little bit lighter or a little bit funnier than, than the other and, and I'm never 100% sure how well those work i guess you need a bit of a breather sometimes in some of them but uh, yeah you, you um, sit there and you think this is supposed to be the funny one and i always think one of the films in, in the funny ones is do you remember when richard todd had sliced up his wife and put her in the freezer but he'd wrapped her in brown brown paper and mm. all of a sudden these limbs were coming towards him wrapped up in brown paper <laughs> that, that that was bizarre um, uh, but then again, you can go and look at something like Asylum, made in 1972, which I think is possibly the best one they did. I know people will always go, "Oh, the House of Drip Blood" with John Pertwee being a um, being a vampire by putting on that cape and flying through, and and Ingrid Pitts appearing and her two friends. Um, <laughs> but as, I think Asylum is is the chilling of the the lot of them, really. The one. Uh, I shall pin my I'll pin my my doodle on the board. Oh, be careful, <laughs> sir. It might hurt. Um, uh, uh, my my favourite one is from Beyond the Grave from '74. Uh, w- although that does have a, a, a questionably a questionable sort of silly one about a um, uh, a mis- uh, sort of mystic or who comes in to sort out a spirit or. Um, <laughs> oh yes. And, 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 and I'm. I think you have to be in the right mood. Uh, sometimes it's fine. Sometimes I'm like, mm, just kind of breaking up the, you know, that because the first story in that one is very macabre. Um, yeah. With the with the mirror haunt and oh, the mirror is a horrible one. The mirror, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think I like the um, the thing I like about Beyond the Grave is I like the, the sort of shop setting um, that Peter Cushing's playing, like the. You know, they, each person who comes in it, uh, either is st- sort of steals or, or or does him out of the thing that he's buying. He, or if they think they're um, they're buying something from his shop and they don't like the price, so they kind of change the price or they they slip they slip it in their pocket. Or and, and of course he he's um, he's noticed. And, and uh, um, oh, and the guy from Zed Curls tries to not Zed Dixon of Doc Green tries to rob him at the end of it. Oh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't recognise him. But oh, right, is he from there? I see. Yeah, the guy that uh, he sticks into mm, the um, pushes yeah. into the box with the the mm. um, sword sticking out of it is the yes. um, the detective sergeant in the last series of Zed Zedcars uh, <laughs> Addiction of Doc Green. Mm. But yeah, and um, there is a person who I'm. I hope you don't mind me mentioning. Uh, particularly, if I say the words Ian Ogilby. Ian Ogilvy. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, who do you initially think of the character he plays? He's, well, he, um, he, 
Well, I think of the saint, obviously. Yeah, he, yeah well, he's, he's a saint, isn't he? Yeah, mm. yeah um, but the majority of his work in the the early the early seventies, late sixties, early seventies, was with horror films. He was very well known actor to do horror. Um, because he, you were talking about the mirror, and there's a very mm. similar one regarding a door, isn't there? That yes. uh, enters yeah. into this room, and so, <coughs> but he's he's known for things like uh, Witchfinder General. Mm. Um, that was a that's a horrid, nasty film um, about the, the the about the Suffolk witch trials and uh, mm. how much of a con they were. But yeah, he yeah. was he's he's known quite well for his horror work. Of course, um, tells the tells from the crypt. One of the most famous um, uh, stories in that has Joan Collins, uh, um, which which I mean I love I love Joan Collins' horror films from the seventies <laughs> when her career wasn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, one of my favourites is. Um, I don't want to be born, although it's also called the monster. Uh, but yes. I'm sure when I first saw it, it was called I don't want to be born. It's only more, it's only the recent versions that I've bought on DVD and Blu-ray that have been called the monster. But uh, so, well, that, that was the first time I'd heard that title. But uh, but yeah, um, yeah, that's a good one. It's a good one for watching at Christmas because she's <laughs> been stalked around the house by uh, oh Father Christmas. Yes, psychopathic. Uh, yeah, I, 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 do you remember the other one in that story uh, with Nigel Patrick in, where he's looking after those people in? Uh, um, it's it's like a it's like a charity, and he's started, oh, yeah. and they've all got dis- disabilities. They're blind, either mm. deaf, and he's taking away their bedding, and they got and they're freezing to death in bed, and so they they stick him into this sort of maze maze with razor blades sticking out oh mm. i hate that and they may and then they let his dog loose after him and they haven't fed the dog for a week oh. and oh darn, it just bear thinking about i'm trying to think if um if that if, if that one even has a does that even have a funny story um yeah. Be, yeah i mean that one i think is cool uh, yeah because oh no Oh no, no! I don't think I can think of a funny story. Um, <laughs> so, no, I can't um, think of a funny story. What's the Ian Hendry? Oh no, the Ian Hendry one's horrible, isn't it? Isn't he the yeah. one who wants to come back from the dead? Or am I missing that with? Um, no, I. Um, no, that's where he has the car accident, isn't it? And his face is burnt. Yeah. Yes. No, yeah. I don't think I can. Well, maybe it was. Maybe it was. You know. It, it was something they did, um, you know, with the later ones more. Or, although, I don't know. The, the, the I don't know why I, I think of the voodoo one as being a funny one. It's not funny at all. It's just it feels funny because you've got two people who are known for light entertainment. Um, yeah, and uh, he's uh, and and Roy Castle is very humorous in it. Yes. Yeah. Um, and. and I see that um, in Tales of the Crypt, one called Wish You Were Here is a variation on the monkey's paw. Um, yeah. And, uh, but, yeah, 
Uh, I'll just go back to the original list. Just So we've got Dr. Terror's House of Horrors, then they do Doctor and the Daleks, then they do one called The Skull, which I feel like I probably have seen, but that's not a portmanteau one, though. No, it's, it's, no it's not. A, that's um, Peter Cushing one, Skull. Yeah. And then they do The Daleks' Invasion of Earth, then they do one called The Psychopath. Oh, yes, that was written by the guy who wrote Psycho. I'm trying to think if I've seen that or not. Probably, probably have. Then there's the Deadly Bees. <laughs> it's just exactly how you think it's going to be. Years before we had the Swarm. Mm. Oh, Michael Caine was desperate for money when he did the Swarm. <laughs> we had the Deadly Bees, and that's exactly what you're expecting it to be. <laughs> but, it, but it says it's also an original screenplay by Robert Block. So. Yeah. Um. um uh, they also use um, they they use Freddie Francis a lot. He who made the Elephant Man, uh, French Lieutenant's Woman, and Cape Fear. He seems to be their stock in trade director. So this is before he's really become famous. That the majority of his films were cheap, what I would call cheap turnaround films, and he's cutting his cutting his teeth on that to make films like to think he's gonna he's going his career's gonna go up and up and up and he's gonna come to do directing such films as The Elephant Man. It's gonna be fantastic. Um and then then the the uh, we've got Torture Garden, which is another <laughs> portmanteau another another portmanteau one. It's probably the one I know least and it's certainly I think it's the last one I I found it quite I find it quite hard to come by um uh, yeah, it was, just wasn't as it was wasn't shown on TV or it was wasn't available on on Region Two for a long time, and I, I did finally get a copy. But it's but a weird one, I, isn't it? Because it's got yeah. Meredith, oh, Burgess Meredith, Burgess Meredith, sorry, as the Devil, Doctor Diablo, yeah, and it's got Jack Palance in as well. I mean, Jack <laughs> Palance was known for westerns in the states, uh, but it's a very odd. That's an uh, it's not. It's not one of my favourites, I must say. No, and I think the, it's probably one I've only seen once as well. Yeah, I think um, it's probably a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, now I feel I want to see it again because I've seen it for ages. But uh, um, yeah, I oh, you're definitely one of the rare ones. You're coming. You're coming to two of the worst films ever made by Amicus now on your <laughs> list. But they came from beyond space and the Terranauts. Yes, have you seen either of those two? I feel like I might have done. <laughs> um, but, but it may have been wiped from my brain. Yes, Terranauts is the one with Charles Hawtrey. In. Yes, no, the Terranauts, yes, I have definitely seen that one. I remember you talked about it on your show as well. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I have seen I have seen that. That's very bizarre because it somehow, like, has n- considering the films that they made before this, it, it's almost like they, they, they just let, a party of school children in to direct or something. <laughs> Everything's just absolutely, it's just absolutely awful. It's like, it's it like is. I've been allowed to start directing. <laughs> no, no, you'd make a f- far better job than the director on those ever did. I mean, they're cheap back to backers, mm. and they're literally um, jumping into the market of just cheap science fiction films. And they are typical twee British science fiction films with no money. Mm. Um, yeah. and I, I know Simon Oates is in Terranauts. I think they came from Beyond Space. Hasn't that got... Um, oh, no, I can't even remember. I'm going to have to look that one up now. I'm not, I'm they not came from, even sure. It's got a big cast. It's, it's got um, it's got Michael Goff in it. That's, oh, no, Bernard Kay. Yeah, Bernard Kay's the baddie. 
Um, and um, yeah, wearing the height of um, sartorical elegance of the the late sixties, uh, a polo neck. I'm invading the world wearing a polo neck. I remember that. Apparently, it's got Kenneth Kendall in playing Kenneth Kendall. Yeah, Kenneth Kendall appears on the television news. He's doing a um, a, a news broadcast. An early episode of Treasure Hunt. Yeah. <laughs> Stop Alec, the invasion. Alec is coming Alec, to Alec. rescue him from this terrible production. But yeah, <laughs> Kenneth Kendall had a sort of um, a penchant for doing television or films because he did. He was um, he was kidnapped in Adam in an episode of Adam Adam and Lives. <laughs> Um, so yeah, he was quite happy to do things. Yeah, that was bizarre. He sort of, the, the people are watching telly. He doesn't even appear as a main sort of set thing. He's on the telly, mm. yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah. very weird. It's very weird indeed. <laughs> but it's a strange film that goes nowhere, and um, the, they want to take over the world because their people are dying on their planet, and they want young people to come back and repopulate their world, and. The earthlings go, no, it's not going to happen. Then they went, all right then. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of the film. And you're thinking, God, if I'd have sat the audience, I'd be throwing <laughs> bottles at the screen. And then, oh. ha- and the fo- followed by the Terranauts, I think I'd have lost the will to live. Yeah. <laughs> They're great. I've, I've definitely seen the Terranauts because of, um, yeah. And the, the, the rubbish robot. Uh, and, and the fact that... Uh, Charles Hawtrey's in it, and it's it's it's. <laughs> he's still playing it as if he's in a carry on film. Carry on film, yeah. Um, but they did. Yeah, nineteen sixty seven was a bit of a weird year for Amicus because they did Torch Garden, they did those two, mm. and then Danger Route, which is a spy one, which I I have definitely haven't seen that. I don't I've not seen Danger Route, and there's very little I can find on Danger Route. To be fair, mm. um, although weirdly, I see it's got um, it's got Carol Lindley in, who I I like. Um, Gordon Jackson. It's got Diana Dawes in. I usually try and watch anything with oh, Diana Dawes in. There's nothing wrong with um, a bit of Diana Dawes. No, yeah, I think it's um, sort of if, if you think of it as a Danger Route, and it's uh, mm. yeah, it, it, I, I, all I can think of is Danger Man, and they're jumping on that wagon as well because mm. this would have been the time that um, spy things like Danger Man mm. would have been would have been doing really well in the TV ratings. Well, weirdly, it's got. Uh, a German-American actress called Barbara Boucher in it, who is well known for being in a lot of Italian jallos. Um, so it's interesting to see that she's in in this. There's, there is a, it's got a good, a good cast. Um, Morris Denham. And Morris Gordon Denham. Jackson. Morris Denham was in anything. Uh, Gordon <laughs> Jackson, uh, Sylvia Sims, um, and then other people. Uh, even some people low down the cast, I recognise the names. But, uh, I, lo- um, I like the fact that Harry Andrews is in it as well. It's mm, me. Mm. I like the fact that as we go into the 70s and the 60s, yeah, the film market is tailing off. And if you haven't jumped from the film market into television drama, you're going to be left behind. And so that's when you find these big stars who, well, who were big stars in the 50s and 60s will do anything just to earn a crust. And so you'll be surprised during the portmanteaus who pops up. Mm, yeah. um, the next one, I thought I've mistaken the the next one they released was the birthday party, um, which I don't think I've seen. I think I'm confusing it with 
is there a Betty Davis film called The Birthday or something like that? Birthday, or? yeah. Uh, no, this is this is based on the Harold Pinter play, which was not what you would really expect from Amicus. No. But apparently it's very good. I haven't I I haven't actually seen that, but I'm only going from what I've read. But you've got people like Robert Shaw in this. Mm. But that would be heavy going and Patrick Mackey. Dandy Nichols as well pops yes. up in it. <laughs> Dandy Nichols popped up in a, a load of stuff in in the early sixties as well. I'm just looking at the how many films like they're releasing. Some years they're releasing three or four films, and then in '68 they just released the birthday party, and in '69, I guess, I guess we're sort of coming into it. some of these films. Whether whether they did very well and that's why they went back to because after after about 69 that's pretty much all they do is is um um is is sort of proper horror horror films or portmanteau films yeah i think they experimented um especially with the pinter and then going on to a touch of love which is directed by the great waris hussein uh, script there by margaret drabble always a great name Mm. pops up in monty python um and they really people aren't really accepting them their audience is not really accepting them for straightforward dramas or kitchen sink dramas in some cases mm. they, they they really want the horror aspect of things and i i should imagine um producing a horror film you can get it out quite quickly mm. if you're trying to do a heavy going drama it's going to take time isn't it uh, the Mind of Mr. Soames, I think I feel like I've seen that, but that's more psychological. Um, so, well, it's described here as a sci-fi drama, but um, I, I, but it is certainly more complicated than... Yeah, there's than, there's a lot of great names in there. You've got Terence Stamp, Nigel Davenport, Robert Vaughan, just to name a few. And he's been he's been in a coma since a brain injury. So for his 30 years he's been in a coma... And he's still got the behaviour of of a child, so mm. that's the main meter meter of the film and how he he's coping with life and how he comes out of this coma and then has to find out that there's that, that there's more to life than he's expecting mm. and what he's missed out on. Yeah, says it was a wasn't a success at the box office, but it's probably a, a yeah, it's probably a little bit. It's, it's not an outright horror film it's not you know it's it's, again so so far we've had spy movies Harold Pinter plays kitchen sink Mm. dramas and psychological melodrama if you like which is it just doesn't fit the amicus mould does it Mm. could be worse it could be trad dad (laughs) too the next up they they do go back to sort of well described as sci-fi conspiracy thriller um, Scream and Scream Again um, <laughs> yeah. it does sound the title does sound more like it's going to be a uh, like a either an outright horror or a portmanteau film but uh, um, but, but it's it's not no you, but although you yeah I know you've got Chris Lee in it you've got Vincent Price mm. in it and uh, Peter Cushing although the three of them don't actually meet in that mm. uh, but yeah it's it's a bit of a hodgepodge that one, and it's another one. It's, it's 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 a cheaply made one because it's it's made in modern times, and it's easier to just shoot modern films than it is period pieces. 
I, I suppose I should probably say that one of the things I always liked about Amicus, particularly the portmanteau films, was that they were set in the contemporary times because that's one of the things that I don't always have the patience for with Hammer is, is all of the period costume. I have to be in the right mood for, for that. It's, just, yeah. it's the same with um, uh, Dark Shadows. I, li- I like all the episodes. I'm more interested in the episodes set in the, in the current day because I'm just interested in seeing everyone dressed in the 60s and 70s stuff and um, I'm less impressed when they get their big frocks out. But uh, <laughs> well, that's just me, though. It's not wrong. It's not bad. <laughs> it's just... But well, now just and again, me. getting their big frocks out, I suppose, is is a nice thing but after a yeah. while you can tire of a big frock now and again yeah yeah it just doesn't suit me um but i haven't got the legs after after, after scream and scream again this oh. we come back to the, the house that dripped blood yeah we um, come we come back to what what is their staple really don't we yeah um and lisa discussed that one we won't talk about that one too much. She discussed that in, in an episode we did quite recently okay. where she was teaching us about um, various horror films from this period. But uh, um, And then we've got Eye Monster, which was... that That's sort of th- their version of the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, in a way, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's um, Again, it's a, it's a Cushing and Lee double-hander. It's got Mike Raven in. Who is that? Wasn't he? A, wasn't he a DJ? He's he's in some he's in some horror films. I think he's in one of Nick's favourites. Uh, uh, he's in Crucible of Terror, which I think is one of his favourites. Yeah, he used to be a radio disc jockey. Um, he was a sculptor and uh, and and a sheep farmer. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he would have been known to he'd have been known to the, the audience. Of course, you've got uh, Richard Herndl in this as well. Uh, yeah. Um, Susan Jameson, she'd have been known a lot. To, she would have been mm-hmm. doing loads on TV. She was, yeah. I don't think she was ever out of work during the 70s. She was always on <laughs> telly. Yeah. Um, Any time I'm talking to my mum about Doctor Who, we talk about Lila, my mum always gets Louise and Susan Jameson confused. <laughs> I have to go, no, it's Louise, not Susan. But this film was originally going to be made in 3D. I don't know if you if you knew that, um, but uh, the, the, it wasn't didn't come out as um, as they wanted it to. And so, you know, when they shoot 3D films, because you're either got things coming out to the camera or somebody's pointing a sword directly at you and things like that. And it wasn't quite gelling for them to do it in 3D, so they they never reduced it as uh, 3D. This didn't do very well at all at the box office. They just uh, the, the, the critics weren't the critics weren't very fair to this film and they said it was, oh, it's, it's a hash a complete hash at Jekyll and Hyde which is a shame really because looking at the names that appear in it it's it's not what you're expecting but then again if you're looking at the 70s now um, things, the horror the world of horror is going downhill somewhat isn't it, I mean Hammer now are not producing the quality of films uh, that would stimulate the mind. And things are now going towards more gore, aren't they? More bloodfest than, say, some, some of the conservative, more conservative traditional horror films. The trouble is now, now it's hard to sort of um, know how, how the, 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 the different sort of 
films and directors how well they, you know, what what, what Amicus's competition other than Hammer, um, because I know of other British horror directors of this time, but I don't know, I don't really, I know them, like, I'm, I was thinking of, uh, and sometime we'll have to have a discussion or, or about the director Pete Walker, hmm. um, who, who started off doing sort of, um, sort of more sort of late 60s sort of psychological type things but then in the 70s made a lot of horror films and I was thinking of the Flesh and Blood show from 1973 which well no from 1972 that has a 3D section Um, Mm -hmm. uh, but but, but which you can well it's produced on the DVD with with with, you can watch it either way but uh, unless you've got the glasses it doesn't really work but um, that's sort of like an early slasher film but I just don't know how well Pete Walker, you know, I don't know how well his films were. Yeah, it's, know, a, it's a bit like Tony Tenser. Tony Tenser founded Tygon Films. Mm. And they're known for Witchfinder General, um, a couple of other low-budget films like The Blood Beast, sorry, The Blood Beast Terror, which is Peter Cushing's, in his words, his worst film he ever made. Uh, they made The Sorcerers, which had Boris Karloff in, which was rather weird. Uh, the Beast in the Cellar. Oh, yes. Ever heard oh, of The Beast in the Cellar with, with um, yeah, your favourite Beryl, Beryl Reed? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got um, Zoe Herriot from Doctor Who uh, showing mm. up her wobbly bits in 1971 on the very controversial Blood on Satan's Claw. Mm. That's mm. actually a really, really good film. It comes with a lot of precursors of there is a nasty rape scene and it is filmed in quite a disturbing way but the whole idea of of finding the skull with an eye in it Mm. and the 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 eye of the devil is everywhere and the eye of the devil is watching this small isolated farming community Uh, it's wonderfully done wonderfully done so yeah i'd say Tygon films is another one, but they didn't last uh, too long. And, and yeah, I, I'm not even sure if Pete Walker, what, like, who distributed his films. He was, he's more a director who did a lot of horror films. In the, but he worked with people like Stephanie Beecham quite early on in her career. And um, I read her autobiography recently, and I wondered, considering she went off to America, and was, I was wondering whether she'd even want to talk about those sorts of films. But. Um, but she, but she did, she did, um, not not endlessly, but she seemed to enjoy, have enjoyed working, um, working with Pete Walker. But um, uh, anyway, we should get back to uh, the other thing with uh, the, uh, well, you bring that up with uh, Stephanie Beecham. But if you look at a, a majority of sort of stars that were up and coming stars like Stephanie Beecham, they they mm. did they cut their teeth on these small little um, small little films that would pop up now and again. And as you say, some of them sort of stick their head in the sand and go, no, 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 I wasn't in that. And um, <laughs> you look at some of them and go, yeah, I'll talk about Dracula AD 1972. I don't mind. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like, again, I, I, I quite like that because of it being contemporary, even though it's not the, probably the best Dracula film I like. I, it, it, it piques my interest because of it being set in the 70s. And, it gets yeah. a terrible padding. But I really, I really do like that film. I like the soundtrack 
because it's really groovy um, <laughs> and it's so left field and Christopher Neem is just so camping it and he's got that huge fedora hat and drives <laughs> around with a sports car and I'm thinking okay yeah he's uh, but Chris Chris Lee does hardly anything he like wanders on <laughs> looks bites a few people walks off and you can understand now that he's getting sick and tired of, of, of sort of playing that character can't you but I do love that film it's just mm. crazily and stupid mm. and I love it so just going through some of the other amicus films we've got What Came With Jack and Jill which I, it says here that it, they were trying to compete with Hammer by doing slightly more um, something a bit a bit more I don't know they describe it as a sort of Psychological like breaking, breaking, yeah, breaking into the, the grindhouse market. Um, yeah, it didn't become, it didn't work very well that film. Unfortunately, it, it sort of fell on its face. But they, I think they were just trying to extend their portfolio. And when companies bet, do that, they've tried that earlier, didn't they? They tried it with Birthday Party and A Touch of Love. Uh, I bet they were trying to because it looks like it's the same sort of year as Straight On Until Morning. Yeah, um, the the uh, Hammer film, which was one of my favourite Hammer films um, I'm, I'm not even sure if that, how well that's regarded or whether it's not regarded well but I really like Straight On Till Morning mm. uh, it's really quite bleak um, but quite well it's but that, that, that's, you find in the 70s that a lot of films or TV programmes were rather bleak mm. because we'd just come out of a, a period of what people saw as austerity and colour and excitement and, and all sorts of things were happening in the in the 60s the pill mini skirts um fondue haircuts um drugs all sorts of things uh, and the world was changing and then all of a sudden it hit the 1970s and we were driving knackered ford cortinas and wearing kipper ties and beige shirts life was over for people in the party world because everything became beige didn't it <laughs> beige or light brown uh, and so i can imagine people thought yeah the 70s are are, are a, ble- a bit bleak but i was reading some ridiculous piece of um journalism the other day saying that the 1970s in the 20th century were the most happiest time <laughs> I can't believe that. I've seen the fashions. I mean, the kids, we had to play with clackers, which could probably <laughs> maim a child at 10 metres. <laughs> and we were eating food that was 90% plastic. Well, I, I, remember, I remember potatoes being all stringy, um, unless they just... My mum and dad just grew potatoes and <laughs> string in the string, string was a thing. String yeah. was a thing. But I just, I, remember, I just remember potatoes being sort of, yeah, they, they yeah. coming out of a packet and you putting hot water in them to expand them. Yeah. Um, so they did three portmanteau films in a row. They did Tales mm. from the Crypt in '72, Asylum in '72, and Vault of Horror. Um, I should probably talk about Fort of Horror because I don't think we've mentioned that yet. That's the one with Tom Baker. Yes. The year before Kellerman he was it. who? Yeah. Terence Alexander from Bergerac. Um, <laughs> Mike Pratt. Uh, Daniel Massey, Anna Massey. Um, oh, that's the weird one, yes. Cause, yeah, because she actually plays his sister in this, doesn't she? And she's a, mm. she's a vampire. And he... um, yeah, that, that's, that's good. That's that's 
I think that's one the, the funny one. The yeah, I think that's the funny sort one of. where they they hang him upside down and stick the um, they stick the, the what they stick some kind of tap in his neck so they can drink his blood. Oh, and there's the Terry Thomas one, isn't there? He... Oh yeah, that's the the one you were talking about with the parcel. No, 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 that's uh, no the one with the parcel. Oh. Um, no, 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 that was um, Richard Todd. Terry Thomas oh, yeah. is the one who has the who's methodical about everything being done mm. at the right time, mm. and he keeps everything in the right jars, and they're all labelled up. And he ends up being um, taken apart by his new wife because she's got sick to death mm. of it, and mm. she puts all his body parts into carefully. Um, label jars downstairs so it looks like yeah. it's exactly the same as what he would do if mm. he took somebody mm. apart then there's the Indian rope trick one mm. um, which uh, that's that's quite that's quite disturbing good. isn't it the, the, it's mm. the screaming sound there's a lot of screaming in that Kurt Jurgens is that isn't he uh, I'd only known Kurt Jurgens for, for two films till I saw this um, one of them was a musical, and the other one was uh, the James Bond film, A Spy Who Loved Me. Oh. He, he lives in the underwater city. Uh, and the then there's one about an insurance scam. Is that is that the one where somebody's in a grave? And That's right. Yes. And we've got That's uh, kind of got a funny ending, really, in a way. Yeah, um, because you, um, at that moment in time, you had the doctor. Doctor in the House TV series, mm. and of course, there's Robin Nedwell and Jeffrey Davis who'd appeared in these Doctor sitcom type mm. things, and they were medical students, weren't they? And they were after a human cadaver to study. Mm. Yeah, and then the one about the painting uh, with Tom Baker and Jennifer um, Elliott that's a good one. That's almost like a voodoo type one in a way. Um, that's a scary one, that one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it's difficult. It's difficult. Sort of horror is probably another favourite of mine. Um, but the, these stories are all, all lifted from um, the comics, mm. aren't they? They're just yeah. reworking mm. of the, the comic stories from mm. Vault of Vault of Horror. Um, then we've got and now the screaming starts. That's, <laughs> yes, that's got Stephanie Beachman. Um, that's not. That's just. That's not a portmanteau one, is it? That's, no, um, no. I think that's like a family estate. Type. Yeah, well, I have seen, seen it, but I can't remember that much about it. Yeah, there's a. This is Ian Ogilvy as well. It's uh, mm-hmm. directed by a um, Hammer director, Roy Ward Baker. I mean, that is a director that's never out of work. But yeah, um, it's about on her wedding night, she's attacked and raped by an evil spirit in her bedroom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, played, it's, it's written by Roger Marshall, actually. He of um, Avengers fame. But yes, it's a story of uh, mental health illness and her psychiatric disorders and how she turns a bit nasty with it. And then we've got the last portmanteau proper for, from Beyond the Grave. Yeah. Um, Madhouse which is with Vincent Price. I only saw that relatively recently. Um, that That's... Uh, yeah, it's almost like Dr. Phoebe's Four. If you, is if it? You can, right. if you, I've, nev- I've if never you... seen it. I'd like to see it. It's it's in one of my boxes somewhere. I haven't got round to watching it yet. Um, yeah, it's about a horror actor. So 
I suppose that's the only way, reason I, in the same way as he plays an actor in Theatre of Blood. And, uh, um, my, yeah, yeah. Um, m- the next one on your list is my most watched Amicus DVD. Uh-huh. It's one of my that- favourites. Is that the beast must die? The beast must. What a title! The beast <laughs> must die, and we have the werewolf hour. Yeah, yeah. It stops in the middle or towards the end, and you have to guess. Yeah. It's like it's like a mixture of a werewolf film and and then there were none, and that you're not quite sure who's the werewolf, and they it's, kind of invite you to. It's guess. Agatha Christie with werewolves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is the werewolf did it, but which one is the werewolf? But there's so many names in this. Mm. And I like the fact that they were very bold. You had Calvin Lockhart and Marlene Clark as his wife with the leads. Uh, and they're people of colour. And it was something other than sort of films other than Shaft that you never saw that on. But I just love the fact... Uh, we got Peter Cushing that does very little, to be fair. You've got Charles Gray, Anton Differing, not being a Nazi for once. <laughs> um, Tom Chabon and Michael Gambon, yeah! Valentine <laughs> Dahl, but that's the he's playing the werewolf break. He, he's the so voice, isn't he? He's the man in black, but he's doing the voice for the werewolf. Yeah. But this, this film is crazy, is absolutely <laughs> crazy. And you think oh, some guy holds a dinner party because he's a very rich uh, prize hunter, and he wants to bag himself a werewolf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As you do. As you do, and he's used all sorts of technology uh, to bag this werewolf, and it doesn't quite end the way you expect it to do, does it? I uh, the, that, well, that's the good thing for me is that at the very minute I can't remember how it ends, which also always suggests to me that I need to watch it again because as soon as I can forget major twists in films, uh, which sometimes takes up to five years, um, it, that's the sort of time to go back and watch them again. So I like to watch films having forgotten a lot of the twists. So. For some bizarre um, reason, this film always reminds me of going to the pub with friends in London and we'd end up talking horror films, and we'd always, all of us sat around the table, would just say, oh, best film's got to be The Beast Must Die. <laughs> it's just ridiculously silly. It's not a classic. The acting is odd <laughs> sometimes, and the setting's just bizarre. But it's such a lovely film to watch. Is it, isn't The Werewolf just some dog? Yes. <laughs> It's a dog yeah. with like a fluffy collar on. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I kind of almost wish it had just been a man dressed as a dog, but maybe, <laughs> maybe not. I don't know. Um, I, I, I'm gonna we're gonna move on to Italian films in a minute, but we yeah, want to mention please. the last three because they um, they released and these were quite successful. Um, the land that time forgot at the Earth's core and the people that time forgot. Yeah, I mean. I'm not sure if they were all as successful as each other, but they... Doug McClure. That, mm, um, I did watch at least one or two of those when they were on um, on telly relatively recently. But uh, Anthony Amy's in The Land That Time Forgot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he, uh, those who don't know, played the master in Doctor Who, but um, uh, most 
yeah, many people will have that. This is um, Carolyn Munro <laughs> is in at yes. the Earth's core as well. Now, Carolyn mm. Munro didn't do many amicuses at all. I think she only did a couple of amicuses. She mm. was very much a, a uh, hammer um, mm. actress. I love Carolyn Munro. And she Plenty did quite time. a lot. She did a few slasher films in the eighties as well. <laughs> she's um, she's one of these actresses that is very generous when she comes to describing the films that she was in she knows they were low budget they weren't blockbuster films and she didn't have a fantastic part she was there to look glamorous but she would never talk she ne- well she never talks the films down that's what I love mm. about Carolyn Monroe mm. you'll get other people who've gone on to be massive stars who oh, I don't want to talk about that that was a terrible film but Carolyn is just wonderful and and she yeah. has such a wonderful air about her, even now. Now, now the, the, we need to do a footnote, because although Amicus sort of ended after those three films, there were two other portmanteau films that Milton Spotsky did. One's The Uncanny from 1977, which is all sort of cat-themed. I have mm. seen that. I remember not being 100% impressed with that no, when I saw it. Didn't do very um, well, apparently. Yeah. But the other one that they made, well, sorry, the other one that Milton Spotsy was involved with, um, was The Monster Club in 1980. And I love that film. Not Um, seen that one. What I love about it is that it's a mixture of... um, Well, it it was directed by Roy Moore Baker. It starred Vincent Price and John Carradine. But basically it's set at a club and you get songs between... The stories, um, like sort of new wave bands, um, and it's it's yeah, I, I really like it. Probably... All you had to say was John Carradine, and I know what type <laughs> of film we're going to get. <laughs> it's got Brick Eklund in, Simon Ward, Patrick McGee, Anthony Valentine, um, Jeffrey Belden, Jeffrey um, Belden, and, oh, Donald Pleasance. I think you need to see this. I think I um, do actually. Yes, I do need to see this. Um, but yeah, I need to watch it again. I think I've got two copies of it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 uh, it's, I think there's three stories, but that's probably fair enough. But with the setting of the club as well mm-hmm. and the music, that's probably you know, uh, the, the songs probably take up the combined, probably take up what would you know, the, the space of a story otherwise. But uh, but I remember enjoying the, the, the music as well because it's sort of, sort of early, early 80s sort of music and stuff. Hello again, listeners, it's me, Cuthbert the Robot. Before the conversation moves on to another area of horror films, we have another new track for you from our composer in residence, Muffly on tour. His latest song is called Marvivo 3, and we think you're going to enjoy it. Paul thought that this new piece definitely had unsettling and scary vibe in places, and it reminded him of some of the Italian horror that he is about to discuss with Warren. Thank you, Muffly, for allowing us to debut your new tune on the Shy Life podcast. Listeners, have a listen, and afterwards we will head over to Italy for some spine-chilling chat exclamation.
talk about um, three Italian directors. I, I suppose about 12 years ago, I started listening to a podcast called The Hysteria Continues, who, who talk about slasher films. So I really like things like Fight of the 13th and, and Halloween and all that. And when I was at university, I used to go to Blockbusters and I'd buy... You know how blockbusters would, although they rented videos, they would sell like five pound copies of I don't know, Evil Dead or whatever. They had their reign, and I tended to go there, buy, you know, instinctively wanted to buy things rather than borrow them. Um, so I, I, I sort of had got into into slasher films or sort of seventies and early eighties horror films, but there was you know there's lots I hadn't seen and. Listening to this podcast got me into a lot of, of slasher films, but it also opened up to me the fact that there were a lot of sort of what are known as like proto slashes and lots of sort of European horror and Italian horror shallows, and there was so much more out there than what what I knew about. Um, and I guess you know you could talk, I could talk I could talk all day about the giallo side of it and. But I, I thought I'd pick on three directors who are known for doing different types of sort of different sorts of horror, um, and um, and also people like Christopher Lee sort of pop up. Um, so we've got Mario Bava, um, who who made who made a, a sort of he started sort of started in the in the sixties, but one of his, one of his. So and one or two of his films were sort of portmanteau type films. There was mm-hmm. one called Black Sunday. Um, yeah, I've heard Black Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, and I think Black Sabbath is a portmanteau one. Yes, Black, 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 Black Sabbath is. Yeah. Can yeah. Can I ask um, a question about Italian films? Mm. Are they uh, horror films? You talk about the slasher. You know, are they more gorier than you would say for European? The, well, they become more. They become more gory as the decades go. I'm I'm not sure how gory they were for. I don't. I'm not sure if they were any more gory in the early seventies, say, than than the Hammer or the Amicus. They they may have been a little bit more. Um, but um, uh, I'm trying to think of the one that uh, there's the girl that knew too much. Uh, that's got John Saxon in it. That's set in. In Rome, that, um, but I'm pretty sure that uh, Mario Bava did. I think he did sort of films that he wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, and, and although he, although the the films that I've tended to see of his have been from the sixties and seventies, he was involved in filmmaking going back to the thirties. But um, I, but I, I'm, I think there were films that he made. For himself, from films that he made for money, um, he he made uh, Doctor Goldfoot and the Girl Bombs, which um, is a sort of a nineteen sixty six Euro spy comedy film, um, and, and and I think that was quite out of his. That's I think that's got Vincent Price, and, mm-hmm. yes, uh, um, that was sort of more of a Hollywood movie uh, than there was a, there was. Um, that there, that there were a, there were sequels. Um, I think it's one of those things where it was filmed in in Italy, but I think there was probably American money behind it. Um, and I, I don't think 
he he would say that that well, he would have said that that was something he he did by choice or to a certain extent he wasn't it wasn't his idea. Um, a, a good example. Oh no, here we go. Here's the Christopher Lee one. I've never seen this one. It's called The Whip and the Body. It's a gothic horror film, and uh, Christopher Lee was was in that. I yes, the, the, the yeah, the whip in the body was um, being reviewed by uh, a podcast or oh, oh, a video cast called um, Dark Corners recently, and that yeah, that's an extremely odd odd film and quite sadistic sadistic film. Yeah, the 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 film the film he made after that Blood and Black Lace is is a really good one. That's sort of like an that's set at a fashion house and people being bumped off, um, but it's very start very stylistic and um, that that thing is a lot of a lot of these. It's got Cameron Mitchell in, but mostly the cast is Italian. Um, but that's that that's a very good one. Very and um, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. There, there are. He did quite a lot. There's one called Five Dolls from an August Moon, which a lot of people seem to like, mm. but it's sort of it, it, it's set on an island again. People being bumped off. We're, in, we're into like 1970 at this stage, but yeah. Um, for some reason, I'm sure there is a reason. I can't remember off the top of my head. Virtually the whole of the film, you sort of see the build up to the characters being killed off, but you don't see the, the actual killings, and you just see the bodies, and, and it always feels to me like. There's, there's something missing because um, you don't see the sort of the fun bit. I mean, <laughs> not fun bit. <laughs> yeah, you don't see the gory bit, and, and I always feel that I, I can't fully um, embrace it because it's it's not it's not it just feels like it's been edited and it's not. And I think it was the intention, but um, I, I can't quite remember why. Whether it was a money issue because I guess a lot of those sorts of scenes are quite expensive to you know if you're going to do some sort of gory set piece then sometimes that costs a lot of money to make the special effects look good but uh, well if you're going to have more than one set piece yeah with a lot of mm, gore it's mm, um, mm. you've got to you've got to even it out and that sometimes as you say that can lose the that can lose the impact can't it yeah um another of his films which is interesting is called a bay of blood from 1971 and that is almost of um friday the 13th but about seven years before, it's set by a lake. Characters being killed off. It's sort of uh, the, the, there's whodunit elements. Um, that's that's definitely um, one of my favourites of his. Yeah. Now the thing about Italian directors is they are often very keen on jumping on the bandwagon of of something that was like a um, something that was big. So Lisa and the Devil is the name of the film, and it's. Um, it, due to the popularity of The Exorcist, we talked about um, we talked about Teddy Savannah, and he's in oh, that. Yes. Um, oh, right. He's in that with Elkie Summer, um, oh. who was in. She's in one of the later Carry On films, isn't she? I think. Yes, she is. Yeah. I have a feeling that um, Teddy Savannah is playing a sort of devil character, but um, so there's one version of the film, but then there was a re-edit. Um, the House of Exorcism, where they added exorcist scenes 
in it to try and repackage it. Mm. Um, and I, I've, I've not necessarily, it's not necessarily a recommendation, but it's a, definitely a curiosity. Well, yeah, I'm looking um, at the poster for it, and to look at the poster, you'd be looking at that going, well, actually, that looks like a rock and roll film, because it's got this... What a young lady in the short skirt looking as if she's dancing, but then over her shoulder you've got this myanical look of absolute um, anger from Terry Savalas, and it's just such a weird poster that I I can't remember how much supernatural there was in the in in the Lisa and the Devil. I guess some, but certainly no exorcisms, Um, but. You know, there are quite a lot of examples where uh, I, I, there's a film I love called Alien Two, um, which was <laughs> yes, made. It was, I... it, 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 have, you, have you ever seen that? It, yes. It, um, <laughs> it was made. It was made between Alien and Aliens. Yes. And and um, and there were. I and I absolutely <laughs> adore it. it, yeah. it, it I mean, it has some good things to recommend it because it was filmed in a, I think, a real cave system. Yeah. Um, so it looks some of it looks quite good, but there were there were sort of obvious alien cushions instead of a, a chest bursting alien. There's a I can't remember does it come out of his back or it comes out, but it's done very badly, but good, but in a great way. <laughs> it's done uh, really badly, yeah, yeah. Um, but it also reminds me of a like a season two episode of Space 1999, and only slightly gorier probably. <laughs> Um, oh, something, I, I, something like the uh, the uh, demon's domain. Mm, mm. I think it's one of I'm sure it's one of Tarantino's favourite films. I'm not, sorry, Quentin, if if that's not the case, but I'm sure a lot of these you know a lot of these Italian films, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, he he in. does like those type of films, yeah. doesn't he? And often sort of uses the music from them in his own films um, as a sort of tribute. I um, I uh, the first time I watched this, I missed heard I wasn't really paying that much attention to the main character Thelma Joyce and I thought her name was Yutha Joyce and <laughs> all I got fixated was I was waiting for the George and Mildred theme to arrive uh, <laughs> but yeah um, but yeah I mean I've recently got a blu-ray copy of one of Barbara's last films Shock that's more of a sort of ghosty type hmm. type f- film and, and, and there was a film of his called Rabid Dogs, which I think he he made and, and abandoned, but then got sort of re-edited, re-edited, re-edited after his death. And I was really impressed with that. That not not a horror film at all, much more like a Tarantino film. Um, and uh, I was kind of really glad that they. Uh, um, it's got some nice twists in it. I was kind of glad that uh, I'd I'd seen that. <laughs> If that, that's a, a lost film and it's as good as that, then you know um, it, 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 uh, it's definitely worth keeping an eye out for it. Now, another director I wanted to mention um, is Lucio Fulci. Now, he he is very gory in places, but he also starts off doing sort of more psychological thrillers and, um, and and again he'd been around doing all sorts of sort of swashbuckling type films and all sorts in the 50s and 60s but it was more in the, in the later 60s when the Jallo um, so 
Dealey's here now. Hi, Deals. Hi, Deals. Yeah, it's Uncle Warren. We're not playing computer games today. You can still stay, though. You smell like a hot water bottle, Deals. Ow. Ow. It's treading on my earphone and my... Yeah, sorry. Yes, you can stay. Um, he, he, he did some sort of... Oh, Deals. Ow! <laughs> I'm just going to sit down. I'm just going to knock your your microphone away. He says, um, "Yeah, he started. He did the the ones I, f I sort of first became aware of were the the jalos uh, elicited in a woman's skin." Um, I was just about to say, um, I'm looking at that on my list in front of me. Is it as bizarre as it sounds? It, it's quite it's quite bizarre. It's also interesting because. Um, it's filmed in London and uh, including in Belgrave Square where I used to work um, mm -hmm. and you can see the college where I, I used to work um, there back in 1971 or whenever it was filmed um, so that, there's that sort of side of it that's interesting uh, a, a lot of those sort of films are often um, you know, uh, main female lead being made to think that they are going mad because, and it's often somebody, one of their family that's trying to sort of. I know uh, it's got Stanley Baker in it as well. <laughs> um, but, but as, as the decade went on, he then started making sort of zombie movies, and um, there's a there's a, a trilogy of films. Uh, City of the Living Dead, The Beyond, and The mm -hmm. House by the Cemetery, which are pretty, which are pretty gory, but I, I do, I do really like them. Um, they're a bit, they're, they're 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 rather strange because they've got the same female lead, but she's not playing the same character. Um, it's all very dreamlike. I think that's how I've heard it described. Is those films are almost like a nightmare. Um, they don't necessarily make complete sense um and they're very sort of uh very odd um i'm looking at the last two directors pictures of the last two directors and they mm. come across as meek and mild old gentle i'm not expecting them to be psychos <laughs> but they're just they're not if you could sit next to them on the bus or on the tube and you just wouldn't bat an eyelid he's so. just nice gentleman sat next to me actually he's redesigning his latest slasher film <laughs> and and um, uh, fortunately, also did a version of the 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 um, Edgar Allan Poe's uh, story, The Black Cat. Um, and he sort of that had um, Patrick uh, Patrick McGee in, David Warbeck, and um, is that a cat in the brain? No, that's something else. That's that's a weird. I've not seen that, but I know that's that's one that he made towards the end of his life and it's sort of a mixture of almost autobiographical stuff with a strange story and um oh yes black cat yeah, 1981 yeah yeah um that i think that's also got the the lady who's the lead in the in the, that trilogy as well because it was made between the first and second film um New York Ripper is quite uh, from '82 is quite controversial because yeah, that's quite yeah quite violent I guess um, and the killer uh, you hear the killer on the phone and 
he sounds like Donald Duck. He's got a quacking <laughs> mouth. So, so it's, if the film wasn't so violent, then it would probably be funnier than it. It'd probably be as funny as it sounds, but it's 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 more disturbing. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. No, no. I'm looking at the poster. The poster looks quite hard hitting, but mm. um, yeah, for you, to, all I can hear now is. Donald Duck and his nephews in the background slaughtering someone. <laughs> I think um, probably his later films are sort of he had because um, because Barber died I think in the very early eighties, whereas hmm. I think um, Fulci died in the mid nineties, and I think he continued making films pretty much until he died. But the money wasn't there. But he did a couple of. Um, uh, like Conan the Barbarian type films, mm-hmm. um, Warriors of the Year twenty seventy two being one of them. I think that's one I might have seen. But um, Murder Rock, that's because of course he started off in the, doing the odd Jallo, um, and um, but but by the eighties the, the slasher things come around. So Murder Rock's sort of more like a more like a slasher. Um, and then there's one called A Enigma, which is about snails. Um, I <laughs> describe that. I just yeah. Um, yeah, there's snails. Is that a horror film? Is, is, is it's, that a, it's a horror film. Yeah. Is it sort of in yeah. the vein of frogs or the yeah, Night of the Lepus or something like that? Maybe. Maybe, yeah, and a bit sort of supernaturally, and um, it's just so difficult to put into words. Um, I think I quite like it. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, that's certainly um, left field. I wouldn't be expecting uh, homicidal snails. Yeah, I'm not. I can't remember. I can't quite remember whether how the snails come into it. I, I'm not sure. I feel they're like they're being controlled by somebody else, but. Uh, um, so, I should finish off with probably the most, possibly the most famous of um, these directors. Um, we've got Dario Argento, who is still alive and making films mm-hmm. to this day, although he's 82, I think. But um, he uh, he hasn't really had a big hit, though, since the early 90s, but did have a lot, a lot of, I guess his... I guess his sort of biggest period was the 70s into the early 80s. Um, and, um, but he did, he was involved with the sort of Jalo films to start with The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, The Cat of Nine Tails, Four Flies on Grey Velvet. Um, they always have these lovely names. I was going to say, they have such beautiful names, whereas we have yeah. like Valtaterra. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, they have such beautiful theatrical names. Uh, it, it just uh, alludes to so much more, doesn't it? But Bird with Crystal Plumage is about um, somebody who witnesses a murder in a in an art gallery. But as it goes on, you realise that it's not quite what you've seen, what you think you've seen, or he he realises. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, um, it's got Susie Kendall in it. Hmm. Um, she was in quite a lot, 
quite a few Italian films. This is um, uh, Susie Kendall, who was married to Dudley Moore. Um, although, yeah, she was doing these films when she was still married to him, so uh, he was probably elsewhere doing things himself. But uh, um, yeah, Susie Susie Kendall is in a surprising amount of horror films. Um, do you find that um, do you find that a lot of um, well-known English-speaking act- actresses and actors are drawn to appear in I- Italian or Spanish horror is it because of the quality of it? Um, I'd say it was. I, I don't know. I'd say it was more that it was nice weather rather than I don't know. I don't know how much the. I'm yeah. not sure how how much money they'd have they'd have got, but. Um, I, th- I, th- I wouldn't be surprised that whether you know if the work was there. I suppose um, mm. what, what, one of one of my favourite films that Susie Kendallin is called Torso, which is the nearest thing I can think of to an I- Italian. It's like a cross between a slasher movie before slashers were even invented, really, um, and an Alfred Hitchcock film because the first half of the film, um, people are, these g- girls are being the students are being bumped off. And then at the the second half of the film, some of the surviving girls um, have gone to this house in the country, um, and um, well, I can't say too much, but things don't go too well. And Susie Kendall ends up being about the only person who's still alive. And then, but the killer doesn't know that she's in the house, and she's tr- trying to. She, she sort of sprained her ankle, so she's not able to run. Um, and she's not sure who the killer is. She just she just knows there's various suspects at this point, and it's just a a really nice mixture of. So that's sort of the you, you can sort of it feels very Hitchcocky that half of the film, um, and it's got one of my the first half of the film has got one of my favourite sort of scary stalky type scenes where there's a girl who leaves a part um, girl girl who leaves a party which is on the edge of some sort of um, uh, like a, a marsh, I suppose, and she realizes she's being followed, and she runs. So she runs into the marsh, and and but the 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 killer has like a um the sort of white face mask that like a a, a motorcyclist might wear under his helmet. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure what you call it. Oh, balaclava type thing. Sort of, but yeah. yeah. Um, so you don't. It's just very atmospheric, and it's all filmed when she's running through the marsh. It's all misty, so you keep seeing. You know, you keep seeing that. You know, uh, you can't quite see how how close the person is getting to her, and it's a really tense sort of uh, um, scene. Um, in in comparison, then, say with um, English and American horror of the time, are they a better to to equate? The, is it not fair to equate your Italian horror to your Westernised American and, and British horror is it unfair to equate the two because they're of such differing styles? In a in a way, um, in a way, I sort of also feel that, that the Italian films are a bit more like the experimental sort of Pete Walkery type films mm-hmm. that that were lower budget and because um, they're not having to sort of. I mean, I don't know. I don't think that American films have got quite so formulaic. 
um, back in that sort of period, but they they were doing their own thing really. I'm not I'm not sure that other than The Exorcist, is the does The Exorcist count as an American movie or is it a British movie or, mm, or, or I'm not sure. Americanish movie, isn't it? Yeah, um, but yeah, then you're kind of getting big blockbusters like Jaws and big. Know, and, and, and the sort of Owen Allen disaster movies um, feels like what was going on was like you know the the horrors that were that that in the early seventies were probably lower budget um, or the Italian ones again they were I think I've heard people sort of say a lot of the Italian movies you kind of went to the cinema to catch up with your friends and have a tr- how much people were actually watching the films um, seems to be debatable. Um, so whether they've had a lot more attention on them in in the preceding years, uh, you know, I'm not sure. I think it was more of a social thing rather than, rather than um, you know people watching it completely sort of silent. Um, well, the, uh, the, the, the I ask that question because you look at things and you go back to if we turn the clock right back to the days of uh, Bela Lugosi being Dracula in, in his first appearance in Dracula in the in the early 30s. I mean, you had a Spanish... During the day, they were filming the American version, and in the evening, the, the Spaniards came on and used the same set, paid to use the same set, and filmed, filmed their version of Dracula. And to, yeah, a certain, I mean, to a certain extent, their f- version of Dracula is... F- Way, way above the universal version. Mm. Yeah, there was just a different style about it, such a more evocative style um, than perhaps what became, in the end, the treadmill. Mm. The, it, 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 uh, it, I mean, dub, dubbing on Italian movies is a. It's an episode in itself, really. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I quite like a, I quite like some bad dubbing anyway. Um, bad dubbing but, can uh, make the quality, can make can make the film more than the actual film itself. Yeah, yeah. Um, coming towards the end, but I just want to finish. Just talking, uh, talking about two or three other Argento films. You've got, mm-hmm. just, well, no, you've got um, you've got Deep Red which is, um, the, I guess that's described as a giallo, but that, that's just a, you know, a good thriller. Um, and that's got, that, that's got David Hemmings in, but mainly an Italian cast. Um, that's another one where you sort of, you know, you uncover things as you go along and, and you also realise you've been looking, you looked, you saw the killer about halfway through the, the film had you only realised that you were—that's what you were seeing. Uh, but that's that's the genius of uh, of making such a wonderful film, though, isn't it? If you can structure it around that, I'm sure everything. The best way to put a, a killer in, in a film is to put them in plain sight, isn't it? But it mm. takes a certain style to be able to do that. There's also um, different cuts of that film, lo- longer and shorter versions. Uh, I think the things that are different... I don't think it's a gore thing so much. I think it's more in the longer cut... Or, I mean, it might be the odd thing, but uh, I think they put more the the sort of relationship between the two main leads 
was um, explored a bit more, so you felt you, you, so it's sort of I, I'm not quite sure what territory's got got what, but obviously so, so one cut probably didn't didn't explore that quite as much because they probably thought people weren't that interested. They just wanted to get to the next murder. But <laughs> it's quite nice to have two different versions that are di- that are different in in uh, you know, and those have really good set pieces when the people get um, killed off there's some quite sort of surreal um, set pieces that are really good Um, and you've got Suspiria which has been remade quite recently that's more of a supernatural that's set in a a sort of a girls dance school Um, and that's sort of a hybrid between between a sort of um, a a sort of supernatural film and, and a giallo where people are being killed off but it's not it's not quite as simple as a. Um, that's definitely. I think that's probably the first Argento film I saw. That, I mean, he he's he. Uh, at this time, he was really good with like color palettes, and it's they're they're beautiful. Not only they're set pieces, but they're beautiful films to watch and very yeah. quite stylized. Um, um, there was a, a sort of sequel called Inferno. Um, in 1980, although it, it's more to do with, well, let's just say there are wi- in Suspiria the school there are witches in the school, and and Inferno has more about another lot of witches. And then many years later, because it was supposed to be a trilogy, but they didn't make the third one till many years later. But uh, um, the third one wasn't wasn't up to the the first two. Um, then three three more. Very briefly, you've got Tenebrae from 1982. That's very much a, a sort of. I guess it's still a it's it, it's still a um, a giallo, but it's also you know just just a thriller really. It's um, uh, and again lots of really sort of intricate set pieces and and there's there's like shots where camera kind of goes through windows and round buildings things are like floors and, and and it's all done as far as you can tell in one shot um things that sort of like hitchcock did um but but even but almost an extension from that um oh yes uh, john, john saxon da, uh, dario nicolodi that's um that's argento's wife yeah um and um yeah, that's another favourite. That's another favourite. Then there, you've got Phenomena, which is... That's got... Um, that's a sort of supernatural one. Um, but that's that's got Donald Pleasance in, playing a sort of... I guess a sort of scientist, uh, a professor. And it's got Jennifer Connolly in it when she was... Goodness me. ...quite young. Yeah. Um... Uh, and it also has a, a chimpanzee with a flick knife at one point. Um, uh, it's uh, it's quite something. Uh, phenomenon is known as creepers in the states. I think that's a shorter cut. Oh. Donald Pleasance did lots of Italian horror films. Um, um, yeah, sometimes he really just phenomenon. Yeah, nineteen eighty five. Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes he just turned like up. The so. idea a monkey just just turned up. He was in the studio, not invited, so he just turned <laughs> up. No, he was he was invited. Well, yeah, he he, well, he fell into this sort of 
um, genre, didn't he? Quite by accident mm. when he started off doing things like Halloween. Yeah, but he yeah, kept going I, back. He kept going back to do other Halloween ones later on as well. Um, the the last um, Argento film that I really rate probably is called Opera from nineteen eighty seven. That that sort of murders again. Yeah. Although it was sort of, it was released as terror at the opera. It uh, has again, it has some really good set pieces in it, and uh, though it has a bit of a strange ending tacked on, or it feels like it's a bit tacked on, set in Switzerland, um, after you think the kid has been killed, uh, but uh, you know. These films are known for those sort of false endings, um, <laughs> but um, the most the most famous name probably um, in opera who isn't Italian is in Charleston, who was known for um, *Chariots of Fire*. But um, I, he, although that was a really big film for him, he he. he he didn't necessarily follow up with lots of, you know, bigger, bigger successes. And mm-hmm. by '87 was uh, doing Italian horror films, which uh, probably wasn't the way he expected his career to go. But uh, he had quite a tragic life anyway. But uh, um, I really like him in um, in the Italian horror films I've seen him in. But uh, um, but yeah, I think that's I could say a lot more, but. And I think, you know, talking about Amicus and, Ita- and then Italian films is quite worlds apart from one another. But they are worlds they do, apart, but they yeah. do cross o- But they do cross over, which is uh, with some of the actors and... Uh, um, but, but, some uh, of the content theme as well, I think, is... Uh, mm, yes. It, yeah. the, the, Amicus just has a tendency, when it does gore, it can be a bit comical gore, whereas Italian... Do, do straight gore. I take it this is this is done as uh, not on a humorous level. Is always done as a as gore, and we're showing you because this is reality rather than use it as a, a humorous touch. Is it? Yeah, I mean, and sometimes it can be that step beyond what you'd see over in, in the UK, America, mm. um, because because of uh, yeah, what they the, what they. Particularly with the sort of zombie movies and the and the, the Fulci films, they 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 do take they are a step on from what you what you're used to seeing in in most horror films. Do you think then that um, they've got more of a following over here now because the DVD market opens up, whereas these would have been in, in the release times in the sort of seventies uh, and eighties would have been seen as rather niche movies. Well, I also think some. Um, I can't remember which ones exactly, but certainly some of some of the films of Fulci and I'm not I'm not sure about Argento, but certainly Fulci. Some of those would have been on the banned films list with um, video as video nasties. Yeah. Because um, of course, when that court when that case was in Parliament, um, I, I've since read that um, rather than taking each film individually and showing how, how the concept or how the gory scene fitted in they just showed the MPs and how many hours or minutes worth of just just like a compilation of all the worst bits oh. so so there's no you know, context in anything there's no context shown, no. yeah so you're going to you're, you're, 
yeah, you're going to come away thinking, well, that's an awful, disgusting sort of thing, um, because you've just been exposed to, to hours worth of, of uh, or, or, you know, a lot of those scenes all at once, um, which is not how they're supposed to be seen. Yeah. <laughs> um, Oh, anyway, Warren, thank you very much for joining no, us. No, no, thank um, you for inviting yeah. me. I, I, I've now got more to go and build on my DVD collection. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, I hope you, uh, yeah, if you need any more advice, we'll, we'll, we'll have to get you back anyway to talk oh, about it. Oh, I'd love to come back now. That's not great. Thing. Thank you very much again for inviting me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. And um, listeners, thank you for listening. Yes, and thank we'll you. And we'll again soon. And uh, yes, um, we'll say goodbye for now. Okay, bye-bye for now. This show is part of the Pride 48 Network. Find more shows over at pride48.com. Oh dear, (laughs) what's going on now? Oh, it's the Sky Life Podcast. Let's go. I have a voice. I have a voice. You have a voice. You have a voice. We have a voice. We have a voice. Unique voices in podcasting. Univospods.net. Oh, is that you? Hello, Yeti Uncle John. Oh, Yeti, I'm standing up. I'm standing to attention. It's Yeti Uncle John. It's a pleasure oh. to meet you. Oh, well, it's, uh, it, it's a pleasure to be here. I heard you were in the studio. I, uh, it's, uh, it's, 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 uh, it, it's nice to see you. And uh, I, 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 I believe that uh, uh, Mr. Paul, he, uh, he, likes, uh, p- p- he plays with you in that game, that Fortnite game. He I, does, I, I played he, that. He does play. He's, he's, he's rather good at playing with me in that game, actually. He's oh, uh, well, got a sleight of hand that can't be matched. Yeah, Mr. Trowbridge, he he taught me how to play Fortnite, which is why I'm so good now. Yeah, but, I hear uh, you're a guru. Yeah, well, I am now. I mean, uh, it just took one afternoon with uh, with Andrew, and I was an expert. So, uh, but I just, I just, the thing is, I just take to things. I take to them really quickly. So, um, I know not every some people take years to learn things, but I don't know. I can just pick things up and uh, become good at them almost immediately. It's it's a talent, I suppose. It's so supple wrist action you have yet, the Uncle John. I'm so glad you've noticed. Yes, I do have very supple wrists. Uh, you know, often people think that that Yeti are, are big cumbersome things, but but I've got a certain. Well, I mean, Mr. Paul, he was known for doing Yeti dancing uh, at one point. Uh, mm-hmm. He used to do his videos. He used to do his poetry videos. And he'd do, he always do a little dance, but he can't do it now. I think perhaps he did too many. But um, yeah, Yeti's a. I'm uh, quite so clod hopping as you might think, but uh, yes, I'm quite supple. I've managed to I've managed to keep myself well um, well well lubricated over the years. But uh, and quite rightly uh, too, quite rightly too. Your your candor does you credit. Yes, uh, yes. 
you know, I feel obviously I, I like to feel I'm, I'm quite humble. I don't like to I don't like to big myself up. I I tend to let other people do that. You know, stand back and let other people tell everybody how good yes. you are. Yeah, yeah. And, and big but, you uh, are too. Big you are too oh, in many quarters. Oh, oh, thank you very much. Most kind, most kind. I, I, I hear you've been discussing horror films. Uh, yes, um, um, Paul's been getting out some information about Italian slashers. Oh yes, yes. Well, um, I, 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 between you and I, I, I might have a few copies that I could uh, pass your way. Uh, oh, they're, yeah. they're, they're, um, they're, they're not quite as um, not on Blu-ray standard, but um, they're, they're they're just ones I've had in my locker for about. 30 years so they might be slightly cut you, you might prefer the <laughs> are they in Betamax sure. then they are in Betamax <laughs> yes but that's collectible now I believe um, it is yes I also have video discs if you're interested oh, a bit of laser disc oh that's right laser disc sorry um, well, yes so, so uh, pl- plenty of plenty of options if you find that uh, your local video store has sold out of uh, uh, of some of these films, I'm sure I'll be able to supply you with uh, with, with um, something shiny and uh, horrific. Yeah. Oh, but, uh, shiny and horrific! I look forward to a bit of horrific. I'm braced for it. Oh dear, oh dear. Uh, well, I suppose I'd better let you go. You probably get to, got to get back to to your 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 your, your, your sausage show. But uh, um, <laughs> good, your sausage. Thank you. Thank I, you. I, I, I was listening. I, I, I was I was I was listening I was listening to several the other day when I was uh, when I was um, I, I was uh, uh, chatting with the magpies in my magpie hut. But, uh, was, I was uh, there was one about carry on I, I heard you doing. Oh, we're having a little and, bit of little bit of saucy carry on, and I was presenting a few sausage rolls. Oh well, that's always be recommended. Yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, talking, I'm 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 hungry now, so I'm I'm gonna go and get a, I'm gonna go and get a, have a roll with a sausage. I think so. Uh, right. I'll, uh, I'll I'll let you get back. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, it's an absolute oh. pleasure, Yeti Uncle John. <laughs> oh, I know it is. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll speak to you again soon. <laughs> right. Ta-ta now. Bye. <laughs> I think that was a wonderful episode, don't you, Tuppy? I sure do. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, oh, kitty, kitty, dearly. Perfect, kitty, kitty, kitty. <laughs> oh, I love dearly. 524 Just the weirdest thing I've ever heard.